years in your ears with dick and uh oh years in your ears with dick and uh oh years in your ears with dick and uh oh dick and uh oh dick and oh in your ears hello listeners and welcome once again to the fifth episode of years in your ears with me dick denham and me owen watts and today we are joined by a very special guest owen would you like to do the honors of introducing our esteemed contributor today i believe our esteemed contributor can introduce herself <laughs> no, I'm this a is... woman. I need uh, a man's permission before I'm introduced into polite society. Okay, you have my permission. Thank you, good sir. I'm Jazz, and I'm shagging one half of years in your ears. And it's up to the listeners to guess which one. But it's, it's, not, it's not just sexual, is it? It's, it's a kind of multidimensional yeah, um, connection. We, have a, we also run a, uh, a private investigation company together we investigate crimes what's our uh, name again we're called uh, hat man and horse legs pi i thought we were called pork and winkle but yeah that makes more sense doesn't it nice to meet you and just to clarify for the listeners jazz is, is not shagging me because <laughs> as a gay queer comedian i just think having heterosexual sex for me would be very off-brand and very kind of very 90s you know jazz you're you're an author you're a gene weaver yep author <laughs> a, a dream weaver gene weaver so please a, tell us more about gene weaving so i'm a geneticist or actually more accurately i'm a genomicist but no one knows what genomics is so mm. i say i'm a geneticist because it sounds cooler and then people are like oh that sounds like you you know make mutants and i don't yeah, I, do. I, I deal with red seas and i sequence genomes by day and by night i write and edit most recently with comic creatives uk with mr owen all kinds of things such as like that jazz you chose the year this episode and the year uh, if you'd like to unveil it for us now you've got it under that tarp large sweaty tarp in the corner of the room i don't know i was doing like a pulling action and then i realized this is a podcast the year <laughs> is unveil the year drum roll 2001 Wow. And just what what made you choose 2001? I feel like in my head, 2001 was a nice year. When I look back on it, I have quite a lot of fond memories of 2001. Like for context, I was 10, 11. Um, I turned 11 in, in 2001. So I just, and I feel like that was, there was a lot of stuff that came out around then that was quite like pivotal to me. Mm. and my personality and my taste and things like that so that's why i i picked it and I, I, yeah in my memory i'm like oh yeah it was good being 11 i liked being 11 <laughs> dick what were you doing in the year 2001 owen we were obviously at school together we were both in year eight going into year nine at st dunstan's community college in glastonbury somerset still there by all accounts still there in form but is it there in spirit well, I, to that. I mean, I was thinking about 2001. Obviously, I mean, you'll remember I was bullied quite badly at school. And I think that was probably around about the time when we were in like year eight, year nine, probably when for me the bullying was at its worst because I had, there was two years of like homophobic 
teenage boys you know like above us so that was um obviously not great but I do I look you know it wasn't all and I think that's the thing like whenever you, you know for people who do have kind of like difficult childhoods and adolescences like it's easy to look back and just think like oh it was all awful but I've got fun memories from that year like did we go on any any big school trips in year eight uh, not that I, because re- I reread my 2001 diary for in preparation for this episode, which is a cavalcade of embarrassment. I can but, imagine. But whether there was any, all I wrote down for what happened, or rather, all I wrote down in the diary was that the sats were on, and oh, the sats. The school did a production <laughs> of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. But I'm certain there was more than that. But I didn't really write any more. I didn't really write in great detail about things that were happening, if, feelings. If 2001 was when we did Sats, it must have also been when we went to Belgium. Did you go on the Belgium trip? You know, it must have been. Yeah, it was. And the weird thing is I didn't write a single thing about it in my diary. <laughs> I've got no memory about the Belgium trip, except us being in Belgium and us being in a chalet. I've quite a few memories of it. I remember Charlotte Wood saying that she'd married me if we weren't married before we were 30. That didn't happen. Oh my god, it's like <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah. So, Jazz, uh, as our esteemed guest, would you like to go first? My first cultural pick, so that people feel like they're listening to BBC Radio Five, is an album, a musical album by the band Tattoo. And I can't actually pronounce the name of this album because it's in Russian. And I tried to use Google Translate on it earlier and I'm none the wiser. So I'm going to refer to it by its English title, which is 200 kilometres per hour in the wrong lane. Of course. That is is the literal translation of the Russian title, which I can't say. And that was released in 2001. The Russian one Um, was released that year. The Russian one, the English language version, it was released in 2002. The original Russian one was released in, in 2001. So what made you pick this? So I was really, I was really obsessed with Tattoo. I mean, I'm still, unironically, I'm a huge fan of Tattoo. But I remember this this album coming out really clearly. And I remember the songs coming out really clearly. Because I'm sure you guys will remember, was huge. They were huge at the time. And all the things she said, which is the English language version of the Russian song, Ya Sashla Soma, which is Russian for I've Lost My Mind, was number one. And, you know, and, and they were huge at the time. But I remember looking back on it and thinking about how weird a cultural phenomenon they were because their whole image was based around this idea that they were lesbians they weren't lesbians they were forced by their music producer to pretend they were lesbians because he thought it would be a good image for this band to have and their music video for Yashas Lazuma which is a video of them just making out outside a school was banned by the BBC when it was number one. And it's so weird to look at that video now and see that it's a video of two women that are over 18 that are having a kiss that aren't scantily clad. They're not doing anything particularly sexual. They're just kissing a little bit in front of a wall. And it was this huge thing that the BBC weren't allowed to show it. When you consider some of the stuff that you see like just casually walking past like big screens that have music videos and stuff on now, it kind of really boggles my mind that that was considered really like, that it was considered like so risque that they were like, oh, we can't show it pre-watershed in case it like turns 
the children gay. I don't know. So on the one hand, I think it's quite nice that we've moved, we've kind of moved away from that completely. <laughs> because I remember it being, it was so odd for me because it was really huge at the time. There was this kind of cultural phenomenon and people at my school were like, oh, you like that lesbian band? That's because you're gay. And it was like, no, I just like it because of the music. It's like the, the best selling album right now. So either a lot of people are gay or like, or it doesn't actually matter. It, it's interesting that you said neither of them were actually lesbians because um, a few years ago, one of them come out. I think one of them's like a celebrity or continues to be a celebrity in Russia. And she said that she wouldn't, obviously now, you know, in Russia over the years has been, uh, you know, a lot more homophobic rhetoric and we've even brought in kind of homophobic laws now. But she said on Russian TV that she wouldn't support a gay son. So it's interesting to think what must have changed like in Russia over the years between, you know, that band coming out. I mean, do you know, was the music, was their music as successful in Russia? Did they have the same video as well for the song? Yes, they are the biggest selling Russian band of all time. So There wasn't any such thing as an official like category of how much music was sold, but they had a rough idea of how much it was pirated and it was massive. Yeah, they, they were huge and, you know, and they, they were huge over here. And I just, yeah, you're absolutely right that Julia has said some concerning things over the years. Uh, she also tried to run for Russian politics recently and failed miserably because that's mm. Russia for you. It's, it's just interesting to me, I think, that now the way in which LGBT young people are able to present themselves kind of openly mm. as LGBT, as non-conforming, as non-binary... And, you know, and obviously that there are stigmas that still exist, absolutely. But to, to, you see people acting in a way that is just more open about their sexuality or about their gender identity. And it's just really nice to me to think that in a really short space of time, or what seems like a really short space of time for me, that I still remember being at school and people going like, uh, to having kids that are clearly unafraid to just be like, yeah, I'm gay or, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm gender non-conforming. What of it? It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess that music video was capitalising on the taboo that surrounded kind of same-sex couples at the time. You probably wouldn't necessarily see a video like that anymore because I don't think it would have the same power to shock. Yeah, what I'm saying is I think it is nice that that wouldn't be considered shopping now and that the people in the video would be gay (laughs) as well. I think what's more shocking now is us going wait a minute, they, their manager basically forced them to pretend that they were gay. For, yeah, that context you know, is more sales. shocking than the actual... It's more shocking now than mm. the actual video, which contains nothing sexual, you know. Mm. Although they did make a video where one of them had a wank in a bath. <laughs> <laughs> in bath? You know, that floats your boat. No, in a bath. I don't think oh, they were right, in yeah. bath. They were probably yeah. in Moscow. But they weren't just about um, that song, were they? They did actually have some quite good other songs as well, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Full of bangers. Oh, this is it. Genuinely, I've always really, really loved their music. And that is, I think, it, and it's a great album as well. Like, um, there's there's a reason that that was the soundtrack to those years for me. I got the CD out of the library and copied it onto my laptop. <laughs> I have a memory. As you're talking about this, I have a memory of it coming on Newsround and then being like, this is so shocking. You wouldn't want to see yeah. this. And you're a bit like, go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I know I want to see it. I have a memory of like Lizo Mazimba going like, don't look, children. 
<laughs> avert your eyes yeah oh. some great videos in that album their their kind of next single which was um nasna dagonia which was released in the uk is not going to get us has got a fabulous video where they've basically like commandeered a gigantic snow plow and they're just riding it around like the i remember the snowy that. streets of russia I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, I remember that song. And then they did Eurovision a couple of years later as well. Oh, yeah, they did Eurovision. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think it was 2003 that they did Eurovision, but it may have been 2002. Mm. Um, I think it, was, it would have been 2003. It would have been yeah. the year following. But it was a huge controversy because they came third. They received 12 votes from loads of countries. They didn't receive 12 votes from the UK. I don't think they received any votes in the UK. And it was one of the first times that a country has demanded, like, an in-depth look into how many votes their country got because they were like, we can't believe that our band had a number one album here a few months ago and you're giving us no mm. more points. That seems fishy to us. Interesting. What was the fallout from that? Was there corruption? There was no fallout. Oh. <laughs> there was nothing happened. It was I've like... used probably the wrong two words there, both fallout yeah, and corruption. Fallout and corruption. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's avoid using both of those words. At the Riflemen's in Glastonbury, did they have a jukebox? Yes, they had had one connected to the internet. Yeah, I've got a memory. We were at the Riflemen's once and I requested Not Gonna Get Us by Tattoo. (laughs) And um, I I think you were a bit, like, embarrassed. I think I get the feeling I selected far more embarrassing things than than Tattoo on on that (laughs) <laughs> I seem to remember we did because it was connected to the internet. We used to try and put on prog rock tracks for as long as possible to make I'll the most of our pound or how much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we used to do that. But you can't really dance to it. That's the thing. Dick, do you want to tell us about your first choice or your only choice? Rather? My only choice, yeah. So I've chosen to talk about Big Brother, which was obviously like a really big TV show at the time. So in 2001, uh, it would have been in its second series in the UK. On a similar kind of theme as Jazz's choice, 2001 was a really interesting year for Big Brother. It was the first year they had openly gay men in the series. So obviously the series was won by um, Brian Dowling. There was Josh as well, who was another openly gay housemate. It's similar to the Tattoo music video. You know, obviously Channel 4, Big Brother, it was a show they were putting out there to, you know, make advertising uh, revenue, etc. But I think Big Brother did do a lot for, like, LGBTQ representation, you know? Like... Because all of a sudden, like, you know, if you're watching Big Brother and a lot of people work at the time every day, you know, you're seeing people like Brian and Josh and you're seeing them. I mean, obviously, the Big Brother isn't like, you know, it's, it's, it's a heightened kind of setting, but you're seeing them just be themselves, um, not necessarily being put in kind of like rid- situations where they look ridiculous or like going around wearing, I don't know, <laughs> like sparkly suits and feather boas. Not that mm. I've, you know, is that I've got anything against that but like growing up in the 90s that was my main kind of like recollection of how gay men would be represented you know like in sitcoms they'd always be the butt of the jokes you know like James Dreyfus's character in The Thin Blue Line super fabulous like James Dreyfus's character in Gimme 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 not that I'm going really hard after James Dreyfus here but um yeah, all of a sudden, I think we just realised that not all gay people were James Dreyfus. It hyper-normalises it because they're all normal people in the house. And you're right, you see them 
24 hours a day yeah. or you see coverage of them 24 hours a day and you see that they are normal people they're just like everybody else in the house. yeah yeah exactly yeah. i mean I not only that but he wins it brian wins it. yeah so there's a there's a huge popularity there as yeah well. so i didn't actually watch that series i didn't start watching it until the next year but i remember guys at school so as i said previously you know i was bullied quite badly at school but it was normally from guys in other years like guys in our year we normally keep a bit of distance from me, but like they would kind of like chat to me because I think they could see that, you know, even though I was gay in 2001, I was still a pretty cool guy. <laughs> but um, I remember like Anthony Longmire coming up. To, you can keep the name in because this is true. I remember him coming up to me. So, why do you look so worried, Owen? He's not going to see. He might. We don't know what Anthony Longmire does. He could be a CEO. Yeah, he could be james dreyfus's agent for all we know but um i remember anthony longmire coming up to me and saying like oh do you fancy brian or josh or something like that and i was just kind of like who are these people not anthony longmire i mean like <laughs> anthony i mean um brian who are and josh. These people? but i mean big brother i mean you know it was a few years later 2005 when nadia almada won mm. you know and i i was so into that series and like to think, you know, that was probably the first time when the public had been exposed to like a transgender woman. People loved her. I think she mm. what she got like 70 plus percent of the vote or something. Yeah. You know, the fact in 2005, this reality TV show was enabling mm. LGBTQ people to be like represented, you, you know, as part of mainstream entertainment as they really were. Mm. I think that really was something. I think that I did watch Big Brother in 2001. I have memories of having it on. I certainly remember they still had chickens then. It still had in the first couple of series this sheen of it's an experiment about social interaction. Okay. Not it just people be, having arguments. It may be sponsored by BT Cellnet and we may be making a lot of commercial money off of it. But fundamentally, it's about how people interact in a confined space. With chickens. With chickens. So there was... Like, <laughs> yeah, and I only remembered, actually, when I was looking into it. And it's so funny, you forget, like, the gamified elements of it. I totally forgot that they would gamble their shopping money. And their shopping money was a big part of, you know, if they won a challenge, they get more to spend every week. I forgot all of those elements of Big Brother. I was like, oh, yeah, there was all those things about it. You just remember the personalities. That's it. Yeah, they have, they have the big chalkboards, didn't they? Yeah, I can also say, and I love this fact, that in Big Brother 2, two intruders broke into the studios and sat in the hot tub <laughs> and had to be removed from uh, the premises. Aww. I think I did watch a bit of it towards the end. I remember quite fancying Paul... Him and Helen had like, they yes, were I like, I remember Helen. Yeah, they were like the couple. But I think it was all quite chaste. Yeah. It was before, I mean, I think in those early series, yeah, the girls had separate bedrooms, didn't they? I think so. Uh, also, uh, talking of chasteness, I, I got this one fact about it chastity. It, feel, it feels so puritanical, right? But there was a teacher in the series called Penny. I think she was the first to leave. She was either disciplined or fired from her job as a teacher because, and I quote, she showered in the nude. Yeah. As opposed to showering with all your clothes on. <laughs> well, in a bathing suit or something, <laughs> I guess. But you're a bit like, they are the ones that choose to show something that she as a human person does every day, right? So it's like, if they're showing that, 
that's their decision, not hers, right? I just thought it was funny that she was, not funny, I think it's like horrible or maybe a state of the times that she was disciplined for a decision, an editing decision they'd made. Jazz, can we have your second choice? Yes, you may. My second pick is the release of the first Lord of the Rings film. So the Fellowship of the Ring comes out in the year 2001. Was it not in winter that um, year? It came winter. out in de- December, and I think it was December 19th. It's definitely around then. Yeah. That was basically my entire personality for the majority of my teenage years. <laughs> so <laughs> that was like, it was a huge deal for me. I didn't know what Lord of the Rings was when it came out. I was at the cinema with my dad, and I think we were watching Men in Black 2. Could be wrong. And we saw the poster for it in the cinema wall which is the one with Frodo holding the ring and it says power can be held in the smallest of things and I remember my dad freaking the hell out because obviously this is a kind of pre not pre-internet obviously we had the internet but it was kind of like a pre-twitter you didn't necessarily know that there were going to be these things coming out unless you were like really on the ball, ball like looking for them and he took me home and we watched the trailer. And I was like, oh, bits of this are weirdly familiar. Why do I know this? And he said, oh, well, remember you you read The Hobbit. This is the sequel to The Hobbit. And I'd read The Hobbit when I was about seven years old. And I was probably a bit too young for it, to be honest. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, The Hobbit with you know, the wizard and the, the small things and all that. And I was like, did the characters from The Hobbit turn up in Lord of the Rings? And he was like, well, you know, Bilbo's in it a bit at the beginning and... Gandalf's in it quite a lot and Gollum's in it and I was like oh brilliant if Gollum's in it then I'm sold on this like as a franchise I was like so excited because he was definitely the best thing about The Hobbit for me I have a really clear memory of downloading the trailer or the trailer being downloaded on someone's computer and the internet at the time meant the trailer which was like two minutes or less took about half a day or like hours to download and we were there going like well we're so excited even though none of us had any well, I think a few of us knew what Lord of the Rings was, but I had no idea. So I was just like, there's these guys and a bow. Someone's got a sword. It's excellent. I love that trailer. That's still a really good trailer. I think w- watching that now, I still get like shivers. I still remember the first time So did you see? That. Did you see it in the cinema in 2001? Yes. Yes, I did. I saw it twice. I saw it once with my dad, once with my mum, because that is the perks of having divorced parents who both like the same book. Yeah, I saw each of the films in the cinema twice. Return of the King I saw after Christmas because I had the flu. And I remember being really upset that I couldn't go to the cinema, but I had a really loud cough at the time and neither of them would let me go. So we're like, you're going to annoy everyone else. Yeah, I was coughing in the cinema before it was cool. Yeah, and I just, I loved it. And I got the books for Christmas that year. I got a beautiful hardback edition and a paperback movie tying cover edition. And I got the animated film on DVD as well, which I still own. (laughs) Our mutual friend Rob had showed me the film on, you remember the golden VHS? So this must have been, this must have been a while afterwards, I think. And like, I had no idea what it was. And Rob would like pause it every five minutes and go, well, he's the king of this and they go and do this. And I'm, and then like five minutes and I go, wait, 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 wait. Who are these guys again? <laughs> so, firstly, what, what's a golden VHS? Much like, like Charlie and the, the Chocolate Factory, it enabled the, him to go on a tour. No, it was like the plastic of the VHS. The plastic box was like gold around the edges. Gold. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. Um, it wasn't like a solid gold VHS. No. <laughs> and that, that's actually reminded me of something as well, because the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they came out in the time where we were straddling VHS and DVD so I owned the films on VHS before I owned them on DVD they released uh, director's cuts 
or extended editions on DVD and on VHS as well. And because the films are so long, the VHS, you could buy it and it was four videos <laughs> in this like gigantic box. And I remember like going into yeah. HMV and they're like the size of your head. And I was like, so one, one film would be across multiple VHS tapes. Yeah, because it, yeah. the extended editions are so much longer. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. And I never, I didn't own those, but I, obviously I owned the extended editions on DVD, but I remember seeing those really chunky videos mm-hmm. uh, in HMV and coveting them. And my parents being like, but you already own the film. You don't need this like extra long version. It's part of everyone's pop culture dialogue. Yeah. I mean, I used to run a Lord of the Rings fan site before social media was a thing i was on lord of the rings forums i you know i met all these people online before that was really like before any of us had like myspace pages and things like that i was talking to all these weirdos in america <laughs> that like owned bits of the set and things like that and i was like hello i'm just the hobbit because that was my internet username which is really um really unsafe probably thinking about it now but really imaginative being like hello i live i live in hampshire in the uk and my favorite character is pippin and please visit my website and they would go on they'd be like your website isn't very good (laughs) i was i remember because i wrote this uh, rereading my 2001 diary i remember the weird frankness in which you'd speak in like internet chat rooms you'd be like yeah my name is this i live exactly here i am this age (laughs) I'm 12 years old. My inside leg measurement is, you know, and I got, I got trolls as well. I remember like even before trolling was really a thing, there was one person that used to come to my website and just leave hate messages for no good reason. Oh, the internet. What what platform was it on? It was Freeweb's website. Um, My website was called Speak, Friend and Enter. Was it like a proper like naughty's website? Yeah. When you logged on, I had a graphic of leaves falling across the screen. It played different bits of the soundtrack, depending on like what bit of the website you were on. Oh, nice. There was like naked fan art of Frodo and Sam making out. Yeah, it was a classic naughty. Did you draw the fan art? No. You just collated other people's fan art? Yeah, no, but I did used to make, I was an early memer. So I used to, I had screenshots of the film. I'd put like paint, like text over on paint. In many ways, I was way ahead of my time. Wow. <laughs> the vanguard of LATR yeah. memeing. <laughs> I have a really real clear memory from that exact time of being in a Yahoo group for the comic 2000 AD. And I had done this digital artwork and I put it up tentatively on this group. And someone told me it was shit and I left the group. <laughs> and you're just like that kind of brief. That's really sad. Painful interaction. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the other thing I wanted to say about it just really quickly as well is it hasn't really happened again, obviously because of my age and because of like the cultural landscape, but there was something really special about being into something that much that everybody else was into at the same time, mm. because not only was Lord of the Rings a cultural phenomenon, it was really huge in my school because obviously it was a book and the teachers all wanted us to read it. So there were like Lord of the Rings posters in my cafeteria. You know, we were allowed to do Lord of the Rings themed assemblies and Lord of the Rings themed GCSE pieces of coursework. I did a Lord of the Rings piece of GCSE coursework where I did a monologue of Samwise Gamgee, because of course I did. Because I'm autistic as well and I do have what we call special interests or or spins where you get really kind of deeply into something like really deeply into hobby or really deeply into something cultural and I don't think I've really had that again where I've been into something and it's so big that everyone else is into it at the same time and it's kind of made it feel less weird (laughs) you have this kind of automatic cultural ground for someone where you can just go hey Lord of the Rings 
that's the thing we can both talk about right you know and so I just think for that as well it's just remained this like massive part of my life I mean it probably is because partly you know back then we didn't have so much choice between Mm. stuff you know like yeah absolutely. so when things did come out they were like massive I mean I just going back to Owen's point about how it's kind of, you know, really seeped into the mainstream. I was never really into Lord of the Rings. I think I went to see the second film at the cinema with my grandma, little grandma, that is. And I think we were just confused throughout. But, you know, obviously I get a lot of the references, you know, like my precious um, Gollum. That's it. I mean, that's it, actually, really. The big, the big feet, the big Alvin feet. Oh, and French and Saunders did an absolutely brilliant parody. I loved that one. I used um, to have that on a VHS I'd take yeah. off the telly, and I'm always annoyed that I didn't keep it because it's not on YouTube. No. Yeah, no, with, uh, with Jennifer um, Saunders playing Gandalf. Yeah, Dale Winton as Saruman. It was a classic. And um, <laughs> they're, they're riding through um, the Teletubby Garden yeah. on horseback. <laughs> Yeah, that was glorious. So, Owen, what have you chosen to retrieve from the memory box of 2001? Well, much like Tattoo, this is something that didn't actually emerge in the UK till the year after. And I certainly didn't get one until a while after this. But I love the purple Cube of Joy that was the Nintendo GameCube. I had an N64 and I loved the N64. Don't get me wrong. But like the specialness of the GameCube and also much to its uh, detriment as well, because (laughs) I think it came out at a time when, especially the PS2 and things like that, they were like, we can do DVDs, we can play your CDs, we can do all this, we can be a multimedia centre for people. And the GameCube said, no, we're just going to have the ability to play tiny CDs and nothing else. (laughs) And, you know, it failed in some ways, but I had such a love for it. I love the purpleness. I love the design of it. I love that it was square. That's good. But most importantly, the the games on it, famously, and I think because Dick, you had one as well, if I'm not mistaken. And again, it would have been a bit further down the line. Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah, I had Animal Crossing on the now, GameCube. Animal Crossing, it was technically a game on the N64 to begin with, but I think, again, that was in Japan. So for me, I think Animal Crossing was very much a GameCube game. It certainly was in the UK. And like, it's now huge cultural phenomenon. People thought I was mad for loving Animal Crossing, (laughs) but it is a fantastic game. You just, it's in real time. You could log on at the middle of the night and it was the middle of the night there. That was great because it was in tune with the system's internal clock. So it knew what time of day it was and what time of year it was. So you could log on on Christmas day and there'd be like, there'd be presents or you could log on on Halloween and there'd be spooky stuff going on. And this is obviously pre- There was some uh, internet capability with some games on the GameCube, but this is before Animal Crossing had any of that. I liked a game that had no real competitive element apart from just collecting things and cutting down trees and remodeling your house. And the other game that I deeply loved was Super Smash Bros. Melee, where it was basically a bunch of Nintendo properties fighting each other. But it was a lot more kind of bright and cartoony i suppose than a lot of the other kind of beat em up games and i really loved the continuity of all these games kind of clashing together and it had a great controller famously because the n64's controller was a three-pronged beast with a stick in the central prong for no reason so you could hold it with both hands but you'd have to reach across to the central it was a there was mistakes made and then obviously nintendo 
they went back to the drawing board and they came out with the Wii after that, which was compatible with everything. You could play DVDs. You could even put the tiny CDs of the GameCube in it. And it was a huge hit. But um, but I have this kind of special joy for the GameCube for both how useless it was and how kind of specific it was. It felt like something that, that belonged to just me, really. Although, obviously, Dick, you had one as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, um, I wasn't ever really like massively into gaming or anything, but I had a GameCube and yeah, I played Animal Crossing on it. I mean, in terms of its success as a product, like, like, was it commercially like a failure? It was, I think, in terms of console compared to things like its competitors at the time, like the PlayStation 2. And that's why when the Wii... Was the Xbox around then? Yes, that would have been around. And again, both of these things could play DVDs and DVDs were huge at the time and the GameCube couldn't play them. And I think that just meant anyone going, do I choose the GameCube, which can't play them, or do I choose the PlayStation and the Xbox, which can play them? But I, I seem to remember we really bonded over Animal Crossing, actually. Is that a mistake? Dick? No, I think we did, yeah. I feel um, like you were the only person I knew that played it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me and my brother really bonded over it as well, particularly after we moved down to Devon. We'd play it after school many an evening. But yeah, I used to enjoy it, just kind of like wandering around an island and, um, you know, talking to the other little animals and stuff. And then occasionally a ghost would pop up up or whatever. I've got it because I've got a Nintendo Switch now. So I've been playing Animal Mm. Crossing New Horizons. I haven't actually like ventured out beyond my island yet. But so I'm pretty much playing as a gaming experience. It's very similar to like, you know, sitting up my GameCube in 2004 and just kind of picking up shells and whatever. But it's very relaxing, quite a zen game, I would say. I remember always being quietly devastated. If you came back on after an extended period of time, people in the community will have moved away, which was always like, oh, no, not the not the hippo. I thought we were friends. And then not only this, if you, okay, if you messed stuff up in the day and went, you know what? I'll reset it. Dick, do you remember what would happen if you reset the game preemptively? No. You'd get told off by a mole called Rossetti. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely true. If you've never done this, so if you reset the game preemptively, and presumably there's now everything is automatically backed up into cloud saves. It doesn't happen like that. If you reset the game to, to cheat, presumably, to like get something that you missed or whatever, then Rossetti would lecture you and it would be this long period of dialogue. You'd have to skip through and it would take ages. And he'd like in capital letters and jumping up and down in fury, like, you can't do that. (laughs) Also, I think how realistic it was for adult life, given the first major thing you had to do in in the game was pay off a load of debt. Yes. To the local Tom Nook, a raccoon, I thought, but he's actually a tanuki dog who ran the local shop. He was lending you a house and you were paying it off or something. Yes, yeah, and that's still very much a a big feature of the game. Very much like, yeah, millennial existence. (laughs) Talking of gaming, let's play our games. For new listeners, Comings and Goings is the game where the guest and the other host, in this case, Dick, will have to guess who has died and who was born in the year 2001. Start with the birth. Was, so, it, a, was it a Beckham baby? No, not a Beckham. Was it someone who was famous at birth? No. 
Ah, oh, it's so depressing, so isn't it? They're like, famous now, very famous. Oh my god! Really? Uh, okay, what are they famous for? Acting, singing, singing. Oh, Ooh. singing. Oh no, wait. I was going to say Adele, but she's my. Are age. they American? <laughs> they are American. Yes. Billie Eilish. Yes. Oh, two thousand and one was she? Oh wow! Billie Eilish was born on the eighteenth of December, two thousand and one. When Lord of the Rings came out. Yep. What? That's- what a link that is. What a, you know what? If I ever meet her, I'm going to tell her that, and she'll be like, "I don't, I don't know care. Who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care." I'm so, going to call security. My facts I got about her. I only really got two facts. Her full name is Billy Irish Pirate Baird O'Connell. So she has pirate in the name. They did want to call her Eilish Pirate, but I think they chickened out. Her first instrument was the ukulele, and her first proper song. Now this will make you feel old. If Knowing that she was born in the year 2001 doesn't make you feel old already. Her first proper song when she was uh, possibly 10 or younger was a song about zombies inspired by the series The Walking Dead. Wow. She, oh, nice. Yeah. You play the ukulele, don't you, Jazz? I do. I've never done anything as cool as write a song about The Walking Dead, <laughs> although I do a mean version of Breaking the Law by Judas Priest. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Billy Eilish, I'm very fond of her. I like bad guy. I'm, I'm increasingly aware, like, the older I get, the more I sound like an old person talking about music. I refer you to me just saying, Billy Eilish, I'm very fond of her. But she seems like, I, I really admire her kind of whole stance on, you know, body positivity and stuff. And Sure. But I think there's been a big emphasis on pop stars having really hot bods and wearing really revealing clothing. So I think it was really refreshing when Billy kind of came out and she was like, no, nah, I'm just going to wear massive hoodies and sweats and stuff. Yeah, she was really ahead of the curve there, I think. Shall we guess who died that year, in the year 2001? Yeah, quite, a lot of people quite died. Quite a lot of people died. Yeah, yeah, famous. it was a bit of a year for that. So it was a famous person. Were they mm-hmm. British? Yes. Were they a woman? No. Uh, were they an actor? Uh, not primarily. Ma- not primarily. Not mainly. Not at all. Were they a singer? No. Oh. Sports personage? Nope. A politician? No. Okay. Member for royal family? No. A radio DJ? Radiographer. Radio is indeed where his first big break came. Okay. And it, is, and it was a radio show. It was a radio oh, show. Oh, were they a presenter? No, they were a writer. Oh. Oh, I was going to say Harold Pinter. But what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know either. Tell it. Reveal, just say. reveal. Yeah, just say it. Just say it. Just yeah. say it. It was the death of Douglas Adams, the 11th of May. Of course. Yeah. One, the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. I, I didn't get that because I read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for the first time in 2001. I was going on holiday and my mum bought it for me. And it was the edition that had come out just after he died. And it had a little mm. black and white photo of him on the inside cover. Yeah. And I remember feeling quite weird because I remember picking it up and going, and be like reading his biography, like blah, 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 blah. And he died. He literally died like mm-hmm. two months before. He was the first person I recall dying who I was really fond of, um, who was like not someone that I knew. I-, I used to carry around as a kind of point of personality a large copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was in school. I didn't really read it for a while, but I'd watch the um, TV series and everything. So, and he died, yeah, very suddenly and quite young. He was 46 or seven. 
Um, or no, no, maybe he was 50. But yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't super old anyway. This is a weird fact. His funeral was the first ever church service broadcast on the internet by the BBC. Mm. Did but, he have any other major works except for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yes, he did Dirk Gently. Um, he wrote for Doctor Who for a couple of years in the late 70s as well. And who could forget Dr. Snuggles? <laughs> Dr. Snuggles, a, a, a surreal children's TV show. Him and Stephen Fry were like early adopters of like internet technology and gadgets. And so he did a lot of kind of strangely progressive stuff like writing for video games in the 90s. And I think he started, or maybe it was started in his honour, there was a, an internet encyclopedia because obviously the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is essentially Wikipedia, but he wrote it in the late 70s. It was meant to be like a tourist guide, like a lonely planet guide to the entire cosmos, but it was like an electronic book. So the idea, I guess, that the central kind of thing is this handheld font of all knowledge there's a narrative isn't it a work of fiction yeah no no it's a, it's a narrative built around the book yeah okay it's now your turn dick to do the top selling single of the year in the spirit of how we played the game so far would you both like to take a guess at what the top selling single might have been in the uk charts in 2001 was it gorillas no I'm going to set myself up for failure here because I own the record of the year 2001 double album on CD. So I can name all 40 of the top selling singles, but I don't know which one was the top selling single. So Destiny's Child. No. I'm going to take hearsay, pure and simple. You're really close. That was the second top selling oh, single. Oh, dang it. Was it Westlife? No. Those are my two punts. Owen, do you want another guess? I was going to say Daft Punk, but if it's not S no. no, 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 go on. It was It Wasn't Me by Shaggy. Ah, that's okay. confusing. Yeah, <laughs> that's not on my album. Is it's it not, not on, on the album? album? No, no. I so... think you've been ad. Well, it was, um, yeah, it was a top-selling single in 2001. Obviously, we all remember it. It was a song about... So Shaggy was giving advice to the younger singer whose name escapes me, but the younger singer had been caught by his girlfriend cheating on him in various locations around the house. So I think they were doing it on the counter. I think they engaged in sexual activity in the shower as well. And Shaggy's advice was basically just deny that it was you. There's a comic on the London Open Mic Circuit called Rem Pereira, and she does this whole bit about how, um, you know, it's essentially a a manual to um, gaslighting. (laughs) It was essentially, you know, just... Shaggy was saying like, oh, just tell your girlfriend that what she is seeing right before her eyes is not, in fact, reality. And it was Um, taken on as as a political tactic as well Well, yeah, you <laughs> in the decades say, after <laughs> yeah uh, you know we've talked a lot about attitudes changing and stuff i think if that song came out now i think people would str- i'm not saying anyone would be massively offended i think people would just be like what like what is he on about you know like when you think about when blood, when like blurred lines came out um and you know people were just like no times have moved on we don't well, I mean, Bloodlines is still a massive hit, but, you know, people were like, no, this is anachronistic now to sing about 
sexual consent in this way. I think, mm. I mean, it's it's difficult to say because you don't want to sound like a typical London metropolitan elite overanalyzing it wasn't me by Shaggy, but like, <laughs> I mean... But you've just done that, so... <laughs> yeah, and I think I've, do- I've, I've done it with a plum. It's, it's definitely of its time, you know? I remember the video though where Shaggy looked very dashing in a in a silk bathrobe with like a scarf. I'm quite sad that that song has had more longevity than Pure and Simple, which is a, not a song about gaslighting your partner. I don't know what it's a song about, but it's not. That's still a, a good song, I think. I'm just know, saying like a good Kim Marsh would never song. gaslight me. <laughs> no. Bradley wouldn't. Bradley was an S Club 7. Yeah. What are we there talking about? We're talking about hearsay. Oh, sorry. Totally. You can't name brand. all five members of hearsay like that. Even, what are we even doing in this relationship? <laughs> the secret to not sounding old when talking about pop music is never knowing any of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to take a guess on what the third best-selling single was? Mm, I'm trying to remember because I did watch a lot of music TV that year. So I said Westlife, but it wasn't Westlife. No. And was it S Club 7? No. And was okay. and it wasn't Destiny's Child? No. Okay. It was a certain Australian songstress with a, lo- with a lovely sister. Yeah, it was Kylie. Really? Oh, Kylie. It was uh, Can't Get You Out of My Head. Of course. Shall we wrap up? So, um, firstly, I mean, Jazz, it's been um, lovely having you on the show. Do you, do you have anything in the pipeline? Oh, what haven't I got in the pipeline? Uh- <laughs> Come find me. Where can where can our <laughs> listeners find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Lady underscore Jeffrey, just spelled G E O double F E R Y. On Twitter, I am mostly talking about disability activism and representation in the media. And on my Instagram, there are loads of photos of me pole dancing. So lovely. <laughs> Do check those out. She is a real whiz on the pole. Now, Owen, tell me what's in your pipeline. Still running the Comic Creators UK group. If you're a comic creator in the UK, come and join us on Discord. But we've got satellite, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook groups, Comic Creators UK, almost everywhere. And that will funnel you towards our community on Discord. And we will be giving advice and guidance for comic creators from now until the end of time. Nice. And I've been Dick Denham. I uh, gig all over London. Check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Dick Denham underscore. Well, that's it. What What will the final word today be? What was a popular word in 2001? I want to say it was like wicked. Today's been totally random. <laughs> it's been shagtastic. Fundamentally, it wasn't us. Mm.